This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life comes with a lot of decisions and sometimes it's hard to know which path is right. Therapy gives you a place to map out your options so you can just trust your choices and get excited about the future. Visit betterhelp.com super to give it a try. What if Fudge had just listened to Harry at the end of Goblet of Fire? Hey brother! Hands down, one of the most frustrating things that happens in all of Harry Potter is when Cornelius Fudge, Minister for Magic, refuses to believe Harry that Voldemort is back. Especially because there is like so much evidence in the room at the time. Barty Crouch Jr. is immediately confirmed to have escaped and just admitted to everything under Veritaserum. Fudge unfortunately doesn't hear the testimony, but even after the Dementor's kiss, you can't deny that he escaped. Then there's the other huge one, Snape revealing the dark mark on his arm and Karkaroff fleeing the castle. Not to mention Cedric is dead, which I'm just, I'm just gonna say it again because I can't believe they overlooked this. Cedric is dead. Cedric Diggory was murdered. And then on top of all of it, the Ministry of Magic, who helped put on the Triwizard Tournament, has been wondering how Harry's name got in the Goblet of Fire the whole year, and boom, mystery solved, but like, nah, don't worry about that. It's just so infuriating because it's such a pivotal moment. I mean, whether or not Fudge believes Harry right then changes the entire future of the war. In fact, according to Sirius and Lupin, the worst thing that could happen for Voldemort is Dumbledore finding out right away. You weren't supposed to survive. Nobody apart from his Death Eaters was supposed to know he'd come back, but you survived to bear witness. And the very last person he wanted alerted to his return the moment he got back was Dumbledore. And you made sure Dumbledore knew it once. And call me crazy, but I'm betting the Ministry of Magic also finding out was a close second. Granted, the Ministry finding out somehow works out pretty well for Voldemort, but only because Fudge is a moron. Imagine how much effort could have been spent stopping Voldemort's rise to power if they had just started immediately. Would the Order of the Phoenix even needed to have been formed? Would Fudge have to admit that Sirius was innocent? And what would it mean for Umbridge? Would she then be like, ugh, working for the good guys? I don't even like saying it. Ugh. Well, today we find out. Okay, what if Fudge had just believed Harry right away that Voldemort was back instead of running a smear campaign against him and Dumbledore for an entire year? Well, rather conveniently, Dumbledore just tells us point blank what Cornelius should do. And since according to Hagrid, Fudge asks Dumbledore for advice all the time anyway, you'd think he'd listen. The first and most essential step is to remove Azkaban from the control of the Dementor. This is Dumbledore's first suggestion, and it is a very good one. Because at this point, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Dementors are not infallible. By this point, they've already let two people escape, Marty Crouch Jr. and Sirius. Dumbledore also argues, They will not remain loyal to you, Fudge. Voldemort can offer them much more scope for their powers and their pleasures than you can. With the Dementors behind him and his old supporters returned to him, you will be hard-pressed to stop him from regaining the sword of power he had 13 years ago. And he's totally right. All of that comes to pass within a year, and it is a problem with escalating consequences. Dementors are kind of weird creatures. They don't really die or give birth. They just sort of multiply based on the amount of misery and despair in any given area. But then on the flip side, if there's none of that around, they just sort of dissipate. At Azkaban, they're pretty set on the misery front, but the wider world out there isn't necessarily so full of it, so they might not be able to survive on their own. 
Joining Voldemort, though, and letting his followers out of prison opens the floodgates for misery and destruction, and they can really begin to flourish. We also just know for sure that a wizard-guarded prison is more effective than the Dementors, because that is exactly what is set up after the Second Wizarding War, and as far as we know, there haven't been any escapees since then. Granted, we had the benefit of hindsight in this situation, and Fudge does not, but either way, it would have been a good decision that would have kept Bellatrix and nine other Death Eaters in prison. And considering Voldemort's known rank of official Death Eaters in the Second Wizarding War is 23, that is a huge blow. And that's 23 counting Draco and Snape. But so minus the 10 who are in Azkaban and then Draco who wouldn't become one until sixth year, that means he's down to 12. And according to Lupin, he's certainly not going to try and take on the Ministry of Magic with only a dozen Death Eaters. But honestly, Voldemort's numbers might even be smaller than that. Since if in this situation, Fudge trusts Harry, he can also just immediately round up all of the names Harry rattles off that he heard at the graveyard. That would include Malfoy, Avery, McNair, Crab, Goyle, and Not. Hard to say if they could successfully imprison them all, but if they did, that's 50% of his remaining ranks. He's down to six, and one of them is Snape. Now, to be fair, he did manage to kidnap Harry from Hogwarts, get him to the graveyard, and get his body back with just the help of two Death Eaters. Actually, on this note, in case you're wondering, Barty Crouch Jr. would still be soulless in this situation because that happens before Dumbledore is able to confirm with Fudge that Voldemort is back. So I think Barty Crouch Jr. still loses his soul. Dumbledore's next suggestion to Fudge is to send envoys to the Giants. Extend them the hand of friendship now before it is too late, or Voldemort will persuade them, as he did before, that he alone among wizards will give them their rights and their freedom. And we know that Dumbledore tries to do exactly this the following year with Hagrid and Madame Maxime and is nearly successful, if not for a minor civil uprising amongst the giants and the arrival of the Death Eaters. But the real thing that hampers Hagrid and Madame Maxime is how secret they have to be about everything without the support of the Ministry. Because like, yeah, a promise from Dumbledore is great, but it doesn't really carry the same weight as an offer from the entire government. Voldemort on the other hand is basically saying, hey, I will be the government. So here, I'll make all sorts of promises, let's go. So with the ministry's full backing, I think they successfully win over the giants. Not only can they offer more and bring more and better gifts, but they could even just bring more people to help apprehend or defend against any Death Eaters who might be present. Which don't forget, there's only six. So no, I don't think Think Voldemort gets the giants on his side, which is great because they go on to cause like hurricane levels of destruction by Deathly Hallows. Probably also mean Hagrid gets to have a little bit nicer and more open relationship with his, you know, little brother that doesn't involve tying him up and keeping him a secret in the Forbidden Forest, so... That's nice. Other than that, we can probably just assume that the Ministry starts doing the same things the Order of the Phoenix was doing, just with more support. Meaning they can be a lot more intentional and likely way more effective since they don't have to be so secret about it all. In fact, I doubt they have any roadblocks at all because the real adversary the Order of the Phoenix has in year five most of the time is Fudge more than Voldemort. Because normally Fudge is doing everything he can to discredit Dumbledore and Harry and convince everyone that Voldemort is not back. So really, maybe just the biggest thing he can do is substantiate these claims and just start getting people on their guard. Which to that end, you might start wondering, well, if the Ministry is gonna be so good at it, like, will the Order of the Phoenix ever even need to be formed at all? Because normally they form to fight Voldemort themselves because the Ministry won't help, but if the Ministry is helping, 
Do they need to exist? I actually still think they do. I mean, the Ministry was against Voldemort in the first Wizarding War, and the Order still existed, so I don't see why they wouldn't this time too. Plus, it's probably better to always have like a secret group that can operate a little bit more in espionage and in the shadows. That feels like the place where all the Snapes and Lupins and Siriuses of the world fit. There's only like one of each of those, so but they're all there. Speaking of Sirius though, if Fudge believes Harry, then he pretty much has to admit that Sirius is innocent too. Which one means Peter Pettigrew will probably now be an extremely wanted man, although I don't imagine any easier to catch because he can still just disguise himself as a rat. But it also means Sirius gets a pardon and that Harry could actually go live with him proper. Oh my God, yes, please. And it would mean that we have a very solid option for a good defense against the dark arts professor the next year. I mean, really, who better? I mean, Sirius is a very powerful wizard who is extremely well-informed on this exact topic. People have already been afraid of how talented he was for the past two years. So how great would it be if it turns out, wait, 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 no, that guy, the person you were afraid of is actually on our side and he's going to teach your kids how to do stuff. Now, sadly, that means Harry won't have the need to form Dumbledore's army. But again, he doesn't need to because now every actually regularly scheduled class with Defense Against the Dark Arts will be just as effective, if not more so than the DA meetings, which were like random and all over the place and it was hard to schedule. And while Harry is no doubt an amazing teacher, I think Sirius would get the job done too. I mean, he's pretty aggressive, especially when it comes to fighting the Dark Arts. So I actually think they'd be more prepared if maybe not a little less united together as a group. I mean, nothing really bonds a group together than a little rule breaking, am I right? That said, I suppose the main thing that usually spurs Neville onto greatness is Bellatrix escaping from Azkaban. So that won't happen. So like maybe Neville doesn't really come into himself as much. But then when Lupin was the teacher, he did a pretty great job of getting Neville to perform and I have a feeling Sirius could do the same. But the other really great news is that if Sirius is the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor, Umbridge isn't. But so then where does that leave Umbridge? Because normally she's a total menace who is inflicting the whims of the Ministry and Fudge all over the place at Hogwarts. But if she works for the Ministry and the Ministry's helping Harry, does that mean she's going to be inflicting those whims against Voldemort? Like, could, could Umbridge be a, a good guy? Because I mean, look, Hate her or hate her, there's no denying that Umbridge is a very effective person. The problem is that she's usually very effective in the wrong direction. It like reminds me of what Ollivander says about Voldemort being great but terrible. Terrible. Would Voldemort even stand a chance against such bureaucracy? I'm imagining he goes to like attack the ministry and suddenly gets like bogged down filling out a bunch of forms and redirected to a bunch of different rooms and stuff. But no, I think it's important to note that while Umbridge is good at administering ministry justice, at her core, she's still a really terrible person. Please, no enough! I will have order. Because while much of what she does is in the name of her work, we also know a lot about her just personal beliefs. We know she hates half-breeds like Hagrid and the centaurs, and that she's out for power for herself as much as she is for the ministry, and that despite being a half-blood herself, she has like pure blood superiority leanings. And perhaps worst of all, it's just totally fine dishing out some, you know, good old physical pain as punishment with like the Cruciatus curse. So to that end, I think I can actually see her working against some of Dumbledore's suggestions, like maybe about like reaching out to the werewolves or the giants. But we should also consider that during Harry's sixth year, when the ministry actually sort of is on his side and working against Voldemort, that 
Umbridge does still work there. And during that time, she really doesn't make much of a splash. It's only when the ministry happens to align with her own personal beliefs that she starts to become this like powerhouse of effectiveness. But so yeah, if Fudge believes Harry, then he probably goes down, as Dumbledore says, as one of the greatest ministers of all time. Take the steps I have suggested, and you will be remembered in office or out as one of the bravest and greatest ministers of magic we have ever known. Fail to act, and history will remember you as the man who stepped aside and allowed Voldemort a second chance to destroy the world we have tried to rebuild. And guys, now we need to take a quick pause to thank today's sponsor, Uncommon Goods. It is officially time to kickstart all of your holiday shopping, you guys, but no need to worry, Uncommon Goods is here. They make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for the people in your life that you can think of. I've already started my personal scouring, and Dad, if you're watching, look away right now because I have found this amazing fishing pole rod marshmallow roaster. What? In case you don't know, our dad loves fishing as well as putting together a little like fire pit for all the grandkids, so this gift really checks a lot of boxes. I also found these wild lollipops that look like planets, and yeah, these are all going in my kids' stockings which is perfect because my youngest son, Nick, loves to go outside right now and just look at the stars and be like, I found one. And I'll be like, that one's Jupiter. Jupiter's not a star, whatever. I can't believe you can see it from Earth. Speaking of the kids though, they also have these really cool like little digital cameras that are for kids. I am so excited to see what they're gonna take pictures of. Oh, and then there's the glitter heart toilet bombs. And the real question is, which one are we gonna get for bed? Walk in the woods or <laughs> butterfly garden? I get it. It's a question that answers itself. The best part though, is that when you're shopping at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. But on that note, most of these products are made in small batches, so act now before they all go away. Don't be the brother who didn't get their brother heart-shaped toilet bombs. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash supercarlin. Again, that is uncommongoods.com slash supercarlin to get 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer, Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. The really tricky bit though, is trying to guess how Voldemort would proceed if Fudge was acting in this way. Because after Goblet of Fire, he really only ever has like three more big major plans. And it's basically the plot of the last three books. The first one is to get the prophecy. The second one is to kill Dumbledore. And the third one is to kill Harry after he gets the Elder Wand. But the prophecy plan, really not on the table. The ministry would just sort of actively know what he's after, and rather than the Order of the Phoenix having to break into the ministry to secretly guard it, the ministry themselves can just guard it. Normally, Voldemort sends in 11 Death Eaters to deal with Harry after he gets the prophecy, and collectively, they all fail. This time he only has six, and it's going to be even more heavily guarded, so I just don't think it's accessible enough for him. That said, even in the main story, he never hears the prophecy, so he just has to press on. As for the Elder Wand, at this point he could know about the twin cores, but his usual first solution is just to borrow a wand from another wizard, but that doesn't work either because that's when Harry's wand shoots the golden flames. But he's also definitely not gonna have another chance to face Harry as long as Dumbledore is alive to even learn that he might need to go look for the Elder Wand. Really, if he wants to get anything done, if he wants to kill Harry, he's gonna have to go through Dumbledore. So I think that is gonna be his first plan kill Dumbledore. And lucky for him, he actually has a Death Eater at Hogwarts, Snape. However, Dumbledore is not like actively dying this time and Voldemort's not also like torturing Draco and threatening to kill him. So really there's no reason for Snape to agree to kill Dumbledore. 
And at this point, Voldemort's numbers are so low that Snape blowing his cover isn't even like the worst thing. Like, yes, it's great and valuable to have him as a mole, but it's definitely still more valuable to have Dumbledore alive. However, we also have to consider the fact that the Defense Against the Dark Arts job is still cursed. And that even if Snape and Dumbledore aren't going to go through with it, they're still going to draw out Snape's cover as long as possible. So I think probably what happens is that Sirius gets sort of wind of the plan, but not the entire plan. And in an effort to stop it, him and Snape end up in a duel. And as ever, Sirius ends up dead. But then I think that's the thing that really unites Harry and all of his friends who don the moniker of Black's Army. And if Snape kills Sirius, that also forces him to flee, which inadvertently keeps his cover up. So that's sort of like a... Silver lining, I guess. I think Dumbledore stills Harry about what the prophecy says because Harry does need to know that he's the chosen one. And that part is essential because he needs to know he needs to die later on and Dumbledore will already sort of know that about Harry. But I suspect with the ministry's aid and like keeping Voldemort at bay that Dumbledore and Harry are way freer, way earlier to start hunting down Horcruxes. Now granted Slughorn hasn't entered the party yet so they might not know the exact number that they're looking for but Dumbledore pretty much just guesses them all anyway. The locket I don't think would be that difficult to track down after the cave. I mean the cave would still be terrible. They'll still have to drink the potion but they would both survive it. Dumbledore might be able to just read the note and be like all right be obviously Regulus. Let's go to his room. There it is. Bam. Awesome. Then there's the ring which Dumbledore usually just finds on his own but I like to think he brings Harry with him this time who has the bright sense to tell Dumbledore not to put it on. The diadem would be a little bit trickier because Harry didn't form Dumbledore's army so they didn't use the room of requirement that much but I think they they could still find it. After all, Dobby does still know where it is. And eventually I think they could think to ask the gray lady, the ghost of Ravenclaw Tower, if she knew anything. The cup this time around really be the tricky one because its location is very unknown and Bellatrix won't be loose out in the wild to accidentally reveal it. Fortunately though, this is where it's going to be great that Snape is still a mole. I think he'll be able to get the information out of Voldemort in some way or another. But then as usual, once the cup is gone, Voldemort will finally know what they're up to and that they're hunting Horcruxes. As ever, he'll begin protecting Nagini right away, which is good because this time around there won't have been that attack on Arthur, which is how Dumbledore figures out that Nagini is also a Horcrux. But I think only Snape realizes this. Dumbledore and Harry, upon destroying the cup, think they've done it. They've won. Or have they? Because now Dumbledore knows he has to have a very terrible conversation with Harry. Rather than a gleam of triumph, it's a tear of pride and a tear of sadness because Dumbledore has to reveal to Harry that he too is a Horcrux. As ever, Harry does the right thing and faces down his doom with Voldemort, who, after killing Harry with a borrowed wand, of course, releases Nagini from her protection. But wait! Harry's alive! Voldemort turns to recast the protection upon Nagini, but it's too late. Snape has cast a Bada Kedavra and killed the snake. Snape is able to make brief eye contact with Harry as to tell him that was the last Horcrux. Attack him now before Voldemort strikes him down as well. Then, fueled by rage, Voldemort turns on Harry, who's still carrying the Holly Wand. He attacks Harry with the borrowed wand, but it's no good. Harry's wand reacts and shoots the golden flames at him. The fire engulfs him, and Voldemort is no more. And that is what would have happened if Fudge had just believed Harry. Oh my god. Love the fact that Snape gets Nagini this time. Said it the other way around. Still goes down in the end, but heroic. 
Guys, as always, thanks so much for watching today's video. Don't forget to leave a like on it if you haven't already, and subscribe so you don't miss any future Harry Potter action from us. We know that Neville didn't get a lot of action in this one, so if you want a lot more of that, we did a whole series, What If Neville Was the Chosen One? You can check out that video right here. But Ben, otherwise, I will see you.